We're looking at Psalm 103, verses 1 to 3. Praising God for forgiveness. Praising God for forgiveness. In this psalm of praise, King David was responding to the abundant mercy and grace of God with words of gratitude from the depth of his soul. Throughout the 22 verses, Psalm 103 is an acknowledgement of God's goodness to helpless and hopeless sinners. People like David, people like us. Psalm 103 starts and finishes with David blessing the Lord, praising Jehovah God for his manifold spiritual blessings, all of which are received through saving faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. As it is written in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. As such, this psalm is for all who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are new creatures in Christ. Speaking about you, if you're a Christian, new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Such people are able to stir up their soul, just like David did. Whatever befalls them, whatever their afflictions, whatever sorrows they may have, no matter how painful their lot, and say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. They don't wait for those days when everything seems to just be going so wonderfully well. This is the mantra, day after day after day, come what may. Let's have a look at verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. There are no end of people who lay claim to being spiritual when the reality is that they are spiritually dead. The world seems to be full of spiritual people. People who haven't got a clue what they're talking about. A Hindu priest is not spiritual. Neither is a Muslim sheikh, but the thief on the cross who repented of his sin and trusted in the Saviour in his dying moments. He was spiritual. Quite simply, a spiritual person is someone who has the Holy Spirit, who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, having trusted in the Son of God, the uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of his sins. And that forgiveness that he receives from God, who is the giver of every good gift, every perfect gift, is the first of endless spiritual blessings. The forgiveness is the first of endless blessings, manifold blessings through faith in Christ Jesus. It is the first, it is the greatest of all spiritual blessings, forgiveness. And that happens when the sinner first believes in Christ. As such, in the very first verse of 
Psalm 32, we looked at Psalm 32 at the beginning of the service. David did not say, blessed is the man who wins the lottery. Rather, he said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. If you were caught on the hop and you were asked to say what the greatest blessing is that you have received from God, you might say good health, if indeed you enjoy good health. However, even though good health is desirable, it is not the be-all and the end-all. For one thing, the prolific hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, she thanked God for her blindness because it stopped her from being distracted by worldly things. Also, you can enjoy good health all your life, right up to death, and then go to hell. You might say that your family is your greatest blessing and your greatest gift from God. Certainly family is very, very special. And the marriage relationship is so special that it depicts, or at least it ought to depict, the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has with his church. Doesn't get more special than that, does it? The husband and wife relationship, it illustrates, or it's supposed to illustrate, the relationship that Christ has with the church. However, this is not what we see in verse 3. First and foremost, from deep within his soul, David blessed God for the forgiveness of all his iniquities. Where iniquities does not merely speak of the sins that have been committed, such as telling a lie or stealing something, or in David's case, committing adultery. Certainly, iniquity can be seen alongside sin in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 38, verse 18, David said, For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. You see that, iniquity and sin, side by side. And in Psalm 32, verse 5, where David said, Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Where iniquities highlights the inequity the inequity of sin. That is, that sin is not fair to those who have been sinned against. When you sin, you are iniquitous because you are being selfish, you are being unjust, and you are being unfair towards others. That's iniquity, that unfairness. When you sin, you are not loving your neighbour as yourself. You are not loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that is iniquitous. It is unequal. It is unfair. To be on the same wavelength as David, you would need to appreciate something of the depth to which the human condition has fallen. A depth that reaches into hell for unforgiven sinners. You don't have to be a converted bank robber or a mass murderer who has come to faith in Jesus to appreciate the sinfulness of sin. Even a child who has erupted into a noisy and tearful rage because he has not had his own way 
If he truly belongs to Jesus, he ought to be someone who first and foremost blesses God for the forgiveness of all his iniquities. Iniquities that resulted in the sinless saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, being nailed to a cross by iniquitous men. It is not for nothing that the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It is only when you can see the ugliness of sin, of your own sin, whoever you are, whatever your age, whatever your standing in the community, that you can, re- that you can begin to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. As Augustine said, God's benefits will not be before your eyes until your sins are before your eyes. Most people who have an interest in a religion have no understanding of how far-reaching God's forgiveness is. For them, when death comes, there remains what? Perhaps a reincarnation... And then after they die, another reincarnation and another and another and so on. Or perhaps a lengthy period of incarceration in some intermediate state. For example, Roman Catholicism, it teaches purgatory, where souls undergo a final purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. However, when you look at verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, you can see that David acknowledged that the Lord had forgiven not some, but all his iniquities. That little word all is of huge importance. It's a bit like in John 3.16, isn't it? For God so loved the world, that little word so has so much importance. Well, here in verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. And we thank God for that little word, all. It means so much. When you look at verse 3 and other verses of Scripture, such as 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, in which it is written, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That word, all, must surely include all future sins. For one thing, every sin is a future sin until it is committed. And that includes the sinful thoughts and words and deeds that you will commit tomorrow or perhaps even before you leave this church. If you are trusting in Jesus, then praise God that all your iniquities, including your future sins, are forgiven. For another thing, dear Christian, by God's eternal decree, Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from when? Before the foundation of the world. And then in the fullness of time, he laid down his life, bearing away your sins long before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. Long before you committed your first sin. As such, when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were atoned 
that were atoned for were future sins. When Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago. The redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the efficacy of his precious blood reached back in time from when he was lifted up to die on the cross about 2,000 years ago to when the very first sin that would ever be atoned for was committed and that, that efficacy of his blood would reach forward to when the very last of those sins shall be committed. That's why it is written in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, The Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ carried upon him the the weight of all the iniquity of all the elect of God from throughout all ages. That's quite a weight of sin, isn't it? Someone who understood very well the totality of God's forgiveness was Horatio Spafford. We've just sung his hymn. In his hymn he wrote, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. His sins, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross. Also, Spafford was a man who blessed the Lord for forgiving him all his iniquities, despite having experienced terrible tragedies in his life. I don't know if you realise this when you sing that hymn. It's one of my favourite hymns. Well, apparently, in 1871... Spafford's four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Two years later, business demands kept Spafford from joining his wife and four daughters on a family holiday in England where his friend D.L. Moody would be preaching. On November the 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Ville du Havre, the ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel killing 226 people, including all of Spafford's daughters, four daughters. His wife Anna survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to Spafford that read, Saved Alone. As Spafford sailed to England to join his wife, he wrote, It is well with my soul. One thing that you can rightly take from what Spafford said is that if the Lord Jesus Christ bear all your sins in his body at the cross, if the Lord laid upon his only begotten son all your iniquity, then there is never, ever a time not to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Last of all, just consider the language of God's infallible word, the Bible. For example, I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 through to 20. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. There's those sins and iniquities side by side again. 
Their sins and iniquities I, will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That means that even now, even now in this lifetime, dear Christian, even with all the struggles that you still have with sin, with your iniquities, heaven's gates have been opened wide for you to enter in with a holy boldness and into the presence of a thrice holy God. And then there are all those verses of scripture that speak of everlasting life. Such as John chapter 10 verse 28, where Jesus the good shepherd said the following about his sheep. I give unto them eternal life. Not I shall give unto them. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. That means that eternal life is a present reality for all who have been raised up to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take stock of this, what I'm saying. You enter into the presence of a holy God now with a holy boldness by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. You have everlasting life now. Not when you die, but now. And then there are all those verses of scripture that speak of various other things. For example, the Apostle Paul who said, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It's very clear what he was saying there, wasn't it? He was saying that he'd rather be in heaven with Jesus. As such, Paul was confident that at death, Christians, including himself, enter into the presence of their great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He had no doubt about that. None of those verses would make any sense whatsoever if there remained even one little sin unatoned for. But the fact of the matter is, dear Christian, that the grace of God is infinitely greater than all of your sins. So much so that since Jesus has redeemed you, you can sing the words of the hymn writer who wrote, Guilty, vile and helpless me, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a saviour. If you are such a person, forgiven by God of all your iniquities, past, present and future, then you are someone who seeks God's enabling grace to live your born-again life for his glory. As you proclaim, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen.